0: Now, we find ourselves on Christmas Eve. Can you believe that? It is the day before Christmas. And for the last five weeks, we have been trekking our way through the very strange stories that we read about in the Bible. Along the way, I have initiated the use of a term called uh, metanarrative. If you remember what that is, a meta narrative is an overarching story, overarching story that we tell about how the universe operates. Now, I've said for the last couple of weeks that many people have different meta narratives operating in their lives. For some, it might be abuse. For some, it might be injustice or oppression. It might be uh, absolute pleasure seeking. But if we are believers in Jesus Christ, And if we believe God's Word, then we know that there is a different meta narrative out there. And it's the story that we have been talking about for the last five weeks. That's part of the reason we have been doing this. As we talk about major things, I wanted to not just focus on the Christmas story this year because a lot of times that's where we we go and that's great and that's good, but I wanted us to see the connection the thread that runs throughout the entire story because as i've said time and time and time again the best way that i think we should approach scripture is not as a, a rule book not as just a guide for life and those you know it does have those things but the best way to approach scripture is as story as a as a narrative because that's how it was meant to be read. But what we do is we take it and we pull the rules out and we we, we make it just about that. And, and there are rules there. But if we just look at Scripture as a rule book, man, that gets kind of boring after a while. But when you step back and you see there's a bigger picture, that God has had something in mind from the beginning that He is taking us somewhere, and then we learn to locate ourselves within the Word, within Scripture, we begin to see the beauty of us, of, of it, of God, of Jesus, and all of God's people. That's the beauty of looking at Scripture as a story. And so that's why for this year I wanted to, to get a, a, a big step back and work our way up to the point where we are this morning. So we have been using as kind of just a, a, a vehicle the Netflix show Stranger Things as just kind of just kind of something to, to draw on and to, to use to help us tell, tell this story. We've talked about the the upside down quite a bit, and each week. We have read what the upside down is so for the sixth and the final time I want to read to you what the upside down is and as we get to the underlying part I want you to read that with me aloud the upside down is an alternate dimension existing in parallel to the human world it contains the same locations and infrastructure as the human world but it is much darker colder and obscured by an omnipresent fog it is a corrupted and decayed form of the real world. And that's what we've been talking about for the last five weeks. That God created the world, and it was a place of beauty. And after each day of creation, he would say, it is good, but then we know what happened. It became became corrupted. The fallen state of the world is the upside down. And that's where we began. And so if you'll remember way back in the beginning, in chapter 1, that's what we talked about. That God had created this place and it was good and he filled it with all kinds of plants and all kinds of, of animals. And at the end of each day, he would say, what, it is good. And then he created human beings. And it was more than just good. He looked at Man, and he said, It is what? It is very good. And he set Adam and Eve down in his garden to be the tenders and the, the caretakers, to name the animals, and to be responsible for the garden. But what happened is they forgot what they were supposed to be doing. And a serpent came to them and offered a temptation. That if they would eat of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, they would become like God. And they bought into it, and they did. And as soon as they did, they realized there was a shift that took place in Eden. They realized that that something had changed. God comes and he asks them, hey, what's happened? What are you doing? And they've, they've hidden themselves. God asks them, and said, we took this fruit. God knowing that now they have new knowledge. Not necessarily God-like knowledge, but now they have knowledge of not just good, but also evil. All they knew before this was perfection. Now they know both of these things, good and evil. And God also knows that if he leaves them in the garden, they will have access to the tree of life. If they have access to the tree of life, as in if they eat from this tree every single day, they'll live on forever. But now they are corrupt. They have broken God's law. They are sinful. And God will not allow them, in his mercy, to let them live in a fallen state for all eternity. And so in an act of grace, God chooses to let them die. But not before he banishes them from the garden. The upside down has entered. The world is corrupt. Sin has entered and it begins to spread. Shortly thereafter was the first murder where Cain murdered his brother out of jealousy. Then God's people got together, and in their arrogance, they wanted to build this great tabernacle, this great tower. And God came down, and he confused their language. But they continued to sin, continued to corrupt the world, continued to embrace the upside down. And God sent a flood to wipe everything out and it did it wiped everything out except for Noah and his family but it didn't completely eradicate the upside down because as we move into chapter 2 the upside down is still there and so God calls Abraham and he calls Sarah his wife this, this elderly couple and he says you are going to be a new nation You're going to be my people. And they hear the news and they laugh. But God uses this elderly couple to start something. To start bringing about his plan that is one day going to change the course of the world. And so he forms this nation and the nation is called Israel. And they were... God's people, and they were to be the light of the world. They were to point the surrounding nations to God. But what happens is they begin to look around and they began to see the other nations, and these other nations had kings and they wanted to be like the other nations, and so they went to Samuel and said, Give us a king. Samuel said, you don't want that. You don't want to be like these other nations. God is your king. But they said, no, we want one. Samuel said, they're going to tax you. They're going to force your children into service. They're going to take your grain. They're going to take your money. They're going to take your flocks and your herds. All for a king. You don't want this. They said, yes, we do. God tells Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting me as their king. Set a king over them. And so Samuel does. And the experiment starts out okay. But before long, the upside down continues to draw people in. And it begins to draw Israel's king. And Saul forgets what he's supposed to be doing. So David is anointed as king. And this is important because David is going to be the one through whom Jesus will come. And David starts out really good, but he also does some really bad things. Like lusting over Uriah's wife. You remember that? Not just lusting over her. Taking her like like she was a possession. And using her, she becomes impregnated, and as if that weren't bad enough, King David, God's chosen one, kills Uriah to cover up the pregnancy. Well, things roll on. Eventually, his son Solomon becomes king, and for a while, he's great. And he's got all the wisdom in the world, but he forgets to use it. And then Israel divides into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And you just have this succession of kings. And some were good, most of them were bad. But what we saw saw in in, in chapter 2, the upside down, is that most of those kings did what was evil in the sight of God. In other words they led Israel, God's people, they led them further and further and further into the upside down, into corruption, into sin, into the decaying form of the world. But in chapter 3, we began to hear from the prophets that God was not just going to, to leave His people in the darkness of the upside down, but that one was coming. One that was going to change the course of of history. And we began to read about the advent. And remember, that the advent means just the the anticipation, the expectation of of arrival. But who was it? It was the arrival, the advent, the coming of, of, of Jesus. But before him... God would raise up another through a very similar story of an elderly couple who can't have children, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is one of God's priests, and he's at the temple, remember? And he's in there lighting the the altar, the incense, and nobody else is supposed to be in there when all of a sudden... The angel of the Lord shows up and says, I have a job for you. You and your wife are going to have a baby. And you're going to name him John. And he's going to be filled with the Spirit while he's in his mother's womb. And he's going to minister in the Spirit and in the power of Elijah. And he is going to set the stage for the Messiah. For the one that Israel has been waiting on. So she, they hear this news, and, and Zechariah is dumbfounded by it. He wants to know how it's going to happen. And he asks, and he receives a sign, but it's a sign that comes in the form of a punishment. He's, he's struck silent for nine months until his son is born. He proclaims that his name is John in that moment, his tongue is loose and he bursts forth with praise as he prophesies over John and then talks about John's mission and how he is going to to prepare the way for Jesus. And then last week in chapter 5, it's the teenage girl Mary who is Engaged but not married when she, just like Zechariah, receives an angelic visitor. When Gabriel shows up and tells her that she is going to give birth to a son and it is the son that's been prophesied about. It's the one that all Israel has been waiting on. It is Jesus, Emmanuel. And she asks the same question, how can this be? And instead of being struck with silence, she receives an explanation that the Holy Spirit is going to to come upon you and you will conceive and you'll give birth to this son. And the only person she knows to talk to about this is Elizabeth. Because the the angel Gabriel had said your cousin Elizabeth is going through something similar to this. And she, she hurries off to go and talk to Elizabeth. And they greet each other and Elizabeth says that the baby leapt in her womb when Mary entered. John was pointing the way to Jesus even before they were born. And as they come together, these two women in extraordinary circumstances. Mary bursts forth with praise, with the Magnificat, in which she praises God for what he is doing. She proclaims the good news and the hope that all of Israel has been waiting on. And so now, we come to the final chapter the birth of the king let's read together starting in luke chapter 2 in verse 1 in those days a decree went out from caesar augustus that the whole empire should be registered this first registration took place while quirinius was governing syria So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So there it is. Luke just kind of gives us just a little snapshot of what happens. That there's this registration that's supposed to take place and there's some, some debate about this census and when it took place and what actually happened but regardless what you have is Joseph and his very very pregnant fiance traveling to Bethlehem to be registered now then, she gives birth while she's there so she's definitely in the third trimester she's in the no-fly zone she's not supposed to be going anywhere yet she makes this journey down to Bethlehem and while she's there She gives birth to Jesus. Imagine what an awkward position this is for this family. They're engaged, but not married. They're engaged, and she's pregnant. Imagine the, the looks that she receives as she comes into town. Maybe as people ask who they are and, and, and where they're from and maybe how long have you been married and oh, wait, what? To watch them awkwardly explain their story. Something about an angel and, and, and the Holy Spirit. And if anybody had a good cause to leave, it's Joseph. But Joseph is a man of integrity. And so he stays with Mary. Well, they arrive in town and there's there's no room because everybody is there to be registered. All the inns are full and you can imagine that they find whatever is available. Maybe it was was a, a, a stable. Maybe it was a cave. Whatever it was, she gives birth. And she takes Jesus and she wraps him up in cloth and lays him in a manger. Lays him in a food trough. The first bed that the Son of God ever laid in was not a cradle. It was not with the the finest silks and linen. But it was a trough that animals ate out of. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah that all the world has been waiting on is born with zero fanfare. There's no lights. There's no parade. He's born in darkness, in the midst of the, in the, in the, midst of the upside down. Now then watch what happens next in verse 8. In the same region... Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is Messiah the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people that he he favors. What happens here is is amazing and and humbling all at once as the the angel of the Lord appears not to the, the high priest, Not to someone important, but he appears to a group of shepherds. Shepherds who are out in the field, who aren't home in their beds. The shepherd was one of the lowest jobs that any person could have. And who are the very first people to hear about the birth of the Son of God? It's not anybody important. It's the lowest of the low. which tells us that Jesus came to be born for all people. Jesus came to be born for people like me, for people like you. He came to be born for all of, all of mankind. These shepherds are the first recipients of this news. And they hear the most important words that have ever been spoken that today in the city of David a Savior has been born who is the Messiah. And so they, they hear this news. They hear the angel, they hear the heavenly host appearing glory to God in the highest. Verse 15 says, when the angels left them, In return to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Imagine what that must have been like. Imagine being a a witness to this scene. The angels leave and the shepherds drop what they're doing and they immediately begin seeking the holy family and then they find them just as the angel said. These lowly shepherds who are the first people to hear the news that the Savior has been born are also the first people to tell the story, to talk about Jesus, to tell what they have heard. they arrive and they find everything just as the angel said the baby is is wrapped in cloth and mary is sitting there and you can imagine you can imagine the scene as she's sitting there she's she's holding jesus maybe she's nursing him looking down into his face she's thinking about everything that has transpired over the He thinks running through her head. As she thinks back to that, that, that first fateful moment when Gabriel greets her and tells her, Don't be afraid. As she dealt with the day in, day out of, of trying to explain what happened, especially as her. Abdomen began to grow, and she began to show signs of a baby. Everybody would know that she's not married. Everybody would know that Joseph had complete authority in this patriarchal society to have her put to death. Joseph's a chump. Why is he staying with her? but he does. Imagine what is going on as they're living in this day in and day out. Uh, I've wondered so many times, what was it like? We don't know much about the parents of Mary and Joseph. How did they explain it? What What did they say? What did they do? How did they react to the news? What we do know is that even in the midst of that turmoil, Mary and Joseph remained faithful to God. They continued to trust, continued to to believe in the midst of these incredibly difficult circumstances, they continued to believe that God was in control, that he was going to bring about his promise. And so I imagine as as the shepherds arrive and they find Mary sitting there, maybe holding Jesus, she's pondering everything. And as the scripture says, she's treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds return. Praising God for everything that they've seen and everything that they've heard. So Jesus is now entered into our world. He is the the Word who has become flesh and blood. He has entered the neighborhood to to live among us. For now, the upside down is still there. But it's been dealt a, a fatal blow. And unlike the show, the upside down will not repair itself. It will not rebuild its strength while it's still there and it's still powerful and capable of pulling people into its grip. Its days are, are numbered. But also unlike the show, the fate of humanity does not depend on a, a fictional young psychokinetic girl named Eleven. That task has been entrusted into the hands of the one called to the the Prince of Peace. And so the upside down is still out there. But it's being dealt with every day. The birth of the king signals the signs of new creation, of the new heavens and the, the new earth, that things are going to be put to rights, that injustice and oppression will cease, that the corrupt and decayed form of God's world will be no more. God's kingdom is here. There is kingdom work to do as we seek to make things on earth as they are in heaven. But for now, for the briefest of moments, we wait. We sit with Mary as she treasures all these things in her heart as the holy family rests in the manger. Ooh. My
1: mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with
0: child. Through whom all will be reconciled. O oh Eve, my sister, my friend, we will, we will rejoice together forever, life without end.